At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Shape podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue collar, hardworking public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve. Fuel your body with the best. Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out NUMAoutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery elevating the archery experience take a test drive with the matthews v3 31 or 27 at a local dealer near you vortex optics i've been partnered with vortex since 2010 this company is awesome they're american owned veteran owned they're based in wisconsin their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics accessories and apparel most of the apparel that i wear while training scouting and hanging out around the house is vortex wear go ahead and check it out and if you want to save 20 percent, enter the discount code elk shape at checkout and you'll save 20 percent. new from vortex in 2021 is their tripods the one i've been using in the backcountry is their summit carbon 2 and their radian carbon and it also has a ball leveling head and it's perfect for rock solid shooting there is the tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no-fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at VortexOptics.com. Here we are, another Elk Shape podcast. Today's a little bit longer of one, but we're sitting down with a good friend and neighbor, Drew Howerton, a no-name blue-collar elk hunter, the kind I love, with an undeniable work ethic, very inspirational, very motivational. You're going to learn some stuff on here. Um, I'm going to preface, we do talk a little bit about different bow manufacturers. And again, I don't care what bow you shoot, as long as you are an archer or a bow hunter, we stand behind you. Remember, hunters united, not divided. Hope you're getting some elk applications out there. And I got a good listen for you guys. So enjoy. This is Drew Howerton. This is the Elk Shape Podcast. This will be fun because I don't have an agenda. 
I just wanted to, so I was trying to think like how I got you, like how I started following you on Instagram. And I can't, I actually can't tell you how I don't, but here's my theory. I think you tagged elk shape or something a couple of times. And when I looked at it, it was like an Insta story. And I was like, who is this dude on top of this mountain by my house? We call it beacon, but I don't know yeah. what you call it. And I'm like, and it's five 30 in the morning. Like, so for the first time you did, I was like, oh, that's cool, whatever. But, like, I think you did it enough times to where I was, like, starting to, fit, like, look at myself and be like, okay. Like, I don't – like, we live on the West Coast, right? And so right. all the companies I work with, they don't – they're not West Coast. Like, 5 a.m. for us is 8 a.m. Like, stuff's already happening. Like, so right. I've already forced myself to, like, become an early riser. Plus, my training partner meets me here at 6.30 in the morning. So I like to get up at 5, have coffee, and get an hour of work done and line up my day and then take yeah. a break, go work out. But this guy named Drew is tagging me and he's on top of Beacon every day, 5.30 in the morning. And that's when I was like, I'm going to follow this guy. And then I started following you. And then I think we might have messaged, found out we had a mutual friend, Kurt. Shout out to Cor uh, Kurt. What's the name of his? Corfit. Corfit. Yeah. Shout out to those guys. And uh, I've known him forever. And I was just like, okay, this guy's cool. And then figured out you were a pretty diehard elk hunter so drew welcome to the podcast how are you good how are you doing dan cool i'm good man we're in person i don't get to do that many in-person podcasts yeah so i have to rely on an internet connection uh zoom or skype and you know sometimes it's not video so i can't see what they're doing um yeah man it's in person's way better right and i do this whole podcast thing as an excuse to like literally make more friends and connect with more people. It forces me to like, when's the last time you sat down with a guy you don't know very well and just hung out and talked elk hunting for hours? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't happen too often. No, man, we're busy. So let's get into your like, uh, just back, like a little bit of a background. Oh man, you grew up in Spokane. Yep. Obviously I want to segue somewhere in there towards how you got into hunting and we got lots of cool stuff to talk about guys. So where like you grew up in Spokane, born yep. and raised? Yep, born and raised, grew up in Colbert, um, which is just north of Spokane. Uh, got into hunting from a young age. My dad got me into hunting and uh, just kind of grew from there. Your dad got you into hunting. Like, my dad kind of got me into hunting. Like that, Yeah, it was a pretty like basic level of hunting. Um, he hunted a little bit when he was in his 20s, and then when he had kids and we got of age, he kind of got back into it so that he could introduce us to the sport and uh we did a little bird hunting and we did a little deer hunting and nothing die hard you know um but instantly it was my world you know as soon as i was as soon as i went on my first uh duck hunt i think that was maybe the first hunt i ever went on was a duck hunt and uh i shot my first duck and i, I was like glued you know this is it for me yeah okay so growing up in washington especially east side you don't know it till you know it. It's not the world, like, elk hunting capital of the world. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're a fellow Washingtonian, at least for the time being, and so am I. Um, dude, what's it like growing up trying to figure out elk hunting in this fine state of Washington? So I never even thought about elk hunting until uh, I was basically out of high school. I had done some deer hunting, never even touched a bow other than, like, a kid's bow, you know, um, when I was really young, but... When I turned 18, graduated high school, uh, a buddy of mine, for some reason, decided he wanted to do bow hunting. And so me and Kurt and this other buddy, we all got recurve bows. And we started uh, bow hunting whitetails out of tree stands. 
And that was like, that was like a whole new world, you know. I fell in love with it instantly. Um, such a learning curve, especially with a, a recurve. You're going into these bow shops, uh, and you got a recurve, and they set you up with arrows you'd shoot out of a compound bow because they don't know anything about recurve hunting. Most of these bow shops, um, and didn't have great great luck, great success. Wounded a couple deer, no penetration, and then I finally started researching into you know, what type of setup you need for a recurve and got into heavier arrows. And then my success level grew, um, shot some nice whitetails. In fact, I've still shot all my biggest deer with a recurve. No kidding. Yeah. I didn't start shooting a compound until 2015. Oh, really? Yep. So I hunted with a recurve for a decade and, uh, mostly all whitetail. One time we went up North to like I own Medellin falls with our recurves when I was probably 2021 to do some elk hiking we tried yeah we we want to do the we want to do the elk hunting thing you know and uh we got up there and it was kind of uh uh let down big let down like you said you're mostly just bow hiking and it's thick brush and there's tons of people around and so kind of gave it up that uh, the elk hunting's not really not really for me um and then uh started seeing stuff on TV and on the internet, and it was a totally different elk hunting world on TV than it was what I experienced up in northeastern Washington. And I thought, you know, maybe like you have come to realize, maybe Washington is just not really the place for me to um, cut my elk hunting teeth. So in 2015, we decided to bite the bullet, me and the, me and my buddy, and buy out-of-state tags. And at that time, you could get a leftover montana tag oh, yeah. over the counter so we picked a couple of those up and we decided if we're going to spend this kind of money i want the deadliest weapon in my hand that i can legally have so that's when we switched to compounds that's makes sense yeah so your first year in montana how much time did you give yourself how did you know where to go i mean darts, that kind on, of a, stuff. darts on a map for real yep i uh you know google earth um, I did as much searching around Google earth as I could had, you know, plan a plan B plan C we went over for, I want to say it was eight, nine days. Um, plan a was a total disaster. <laughs> I love it. Void of elk, right? Like you found where not to hunt. Yeah. We found where not to hunt. Um, 10 miles in, you Oh know, God. 10 mile, 10 mile hike. Um, not not the greatest, most lightweight gear. Got back there and uh, discovered that in that specific wilderness, if you want to get into the elk, 10 miles is about halfway there. Oh, my gosh. So we're like, let's bail and go to plan B. And uh, we hit plan B, and we were in the elk instantly. And uh, it was a riot. We had like three, four days where we were just constantly in them. Um I found uh, like a 340, 350 inch deadhead down in a wallow, and we we're just like, "Holy cow, this is awesome!" Wow. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. And then, I'm not exactly sure why. Probably just inexperience, and also uh, wanting to see what else was out there. But you know, the age old saying, "Don't leave elk to find elk." Well, that's what we did. We left elk to find elk, and we found more elk. Plan well, that's, C. That's cool. Plan C. We found more I'm elk. Into that. That first year was kind of just like, 
man, this is uh this is way different than what the elk hunting we had in the past. I mean, we're hit, you know, we're two for three on finding elk as far as different places. And these are not places that are close together. I mean, we're driving two and three hours between these spots mm-hmm. all over Western Montana. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we didn't fill our tags in archery season. We went back and rifle and my buddy filled his tag on a cow and I ended up going home empty handed. I ate that tag. Mm-hmm. But the, what I learned that season was, um, you know, more than I had ever learned in all my years prior as far as elk hunting goes. Right. Yeah. So do you think getting into elk per se, like obviously your plan A was like, there's so many wildernesses to go into and the allure of going deep and, and I call it kind of over committing really it's yeah. not my style. I've evolved to much less of a deep backcountry elk hunter per se, unless I kind of know it's an old haunt and it's worth the right. time. Cause I just don't feel like September is very long Yeah, and it kind of goes by fast. Yeah, it does and go I by can, fast. if I can spend as least amount of time hiking to a location in the daylight, like if it's daylight, I want to be hunting. And so a lot of my escapades of moving around, getting into camps, setting up spikes or even bivy hunting, uh, and driving two, three hours to a new part of the unit or a different unit is at night. I've yeah. figured out um, a while ago that I could sleep when September was over. Yeah. And that, uh, and it sucks. But that new mindset of like September so finite and changing locations and only burning precious time at night when I can't legally shoot an elk right. has really paid off and not over committing. Um, do you think that's something a lot of guys do? Like, especially elk hunting is kind of popular now. It seems like it's getting more popular. I can yeah. back that up with facts and stats, but adult onset, whatever. And by the way, for the record, I want all the new hunters we can get. Like, I'm not in that camp of, gosh, I wish there wasn't so many hunters. Like, it's a good thing. But right. do you think a lot of them just kind of read and fall in love and, like, end up falling into the same trap that you did and just going too deep? Yeah, I think it's super common. Um it can still happen to me from time to time because I love going deep, but, uh, I know enough about elk areas now that usually, um, I don't have too much trouble finding the elk and, you know, I don't, I don't go 10 miles deep anymore. I think, I think for a backpack hunter that's over committing, but I still love to backpack hunt and just drop down and sleep wherever I end up at night rather than knowing, okay, now I have to hike two, three, four, five miles back to the truck I'd rather carry an ultralight tent or tarp. Um, I prefer a tent depending on what state I'm in um, and a sleeping bag and just drop, drop down, throw it up, go to sleep, get back up in the morning and kind of do loops. So you're not, you're never more than five, six, seven miles from the truck, but um, that's, that's my ideal way to do it. But I'll, I'll do whatever is, uh, going to be give me the most chances for success you know if that means hunting a mile and a half and going back to the truck every night it doesn't matter to me i'm elk hunting i'll do whatever i need to do to get an elk on the ground yeah i feel that and i think we got to put an asterisk in there so like some of you guys listen do not qualify to do what drew just said so uh and myself is uh i'm actually going to put myself in that same category as like the way i hunt i don't qualify to do bivy or bivouac hunting where um, let's say I have the lightest gear on the market, which if you look around, 
my office here is kind of like a gear locker. I got some good stuff, right? Yeah. Super fortunate. But like For sure. you add camera gear, tripods, right. food. I can't get under 50 pounds, okay? And my style of elk hunting is very much about being fast, yeah, making very quick decisions, and sometimes, and I think you'll believe this, keeping up with elk or getting ahead of elk, right. which a lot of people say you can't do. And, and I would agree for the most part, but there's a lot of instances where I can. I yeah. can keep up with elk, and I use it to my advantage. Cannot do that with a 50-pound bivy setup. So a lot of times I'll have a spike camp bag, and let's say I'm doing a loop, and I, I got 50 pounds on my back, but I'm getting into such good elk hunting. A lot of times I will go grab that out of my bag, find some water that keeps my wind away from where these elk want to be. And I'm camped super close to them. I'll drop that spike camp bag and I go from 60 pounds to 25 pounds. Look yeah. out elk, you're in trouble. And you add up, let's say, let's say your average guy hunts five or seven days, bro. I'm hunting till dark every day, and I got a short little hike to camp, and I'm getting eight hours of sleep. You add up those precious 30 minutes in the evening times five. I, I mean, I've lit. It's an odds multiplier. I am literally going to have more oh, that, opportunity. That was one of my greatest lessons that first year in 2015. Uh, we were in the wilderness in Montana, and uh, we were about three miles from the trailhead. And we had hiked in. This was our first day into this in uh, to plan B. And we hike in. We saw a little sign. We weren't seeing a whole lot. And I was like, okay, it might be looking like plan B is not going to pan out. And I'm, I'm kind of on the verge of uh, panicking that our whole elk week is a total waste of time. And we get to this one little meadow that was kind of our destination that we had picked on the map. We wanted to get there. And we hear uh, a couple mews, and I'm like, okay, this is good. And, and so we just sit and listen for a minute, and uh, we realize after, I don't know, five minutes, this is a hunter. Mm-hmm. So we creep down a little bit to verify, and sure enough, we can kind of see him down there. So now we're really bummed out, right? Oh, I would be. So we're just kind of sitting there, dejected, uh, whispering back and forth, what are we going to do? And he... I think there's maybe like 20 to 25 minutes left of shooting light. And he makes his way back to the trail and heads out. And we're like, well, we're here. We're staying till dark. You know, we learned that lesson long ago. Like you stay until shooting light is over. You stay in elk habitat and then you make your way back to camp or truck in the dark. And it wasn't, we let him get far enough away to get out of earshot. Cause I don't know why, but I don't, I'm not one of those guys that, uh, like bugles and likes, if I know other hunters around, I don't care. I don't, I don't want people to hear me bugle. I like to be, and not only do I like the elk to not know I'm around, I don't want hunters to know I'm around either. So we make sure he's out of earshot and then, uh, we rip one bugle and way, way, way off in the distance, we hear a response. And we're like, okay, well, maybe plan B might work out. Yeah. And so we're sitting here talking about what we're going to do. And then he bugles again on his own, and it's closer. So we just we decide, okay, they're probably coming to this meadow. This is where they're coming. So we, we get set up in this meadow, and uh, they just come rolling down the mountain like a freight train. And uh, long story short, that, that – encounter didn't work out but the lesson there was 
you stay in elk country until it's dark out. And sometimes if you're trying to locate elk, you need to stay well past dark. You might need to keep walking away from the truck for an hour after dark to maybe find where you're going to be tomorrow morning. And in that instance, I wouldn't mind having my bivy or spike camp on my back and I'm going away from the truck. Yeah. And I'm like, look, Dan, you got no elk. You need to either like this area or rule it out. And so onward and upward and pitching bugles and elk are so much more likely in a high pressure area to crack off back at you in the dark. Like yeah, think about this guys, sure. like elk, elk aren't sleeping at night and sure they'll eat in bed down or whatever a little bit, but predominantly nighttime is the right time. Yep. I think they're more likely to, to, to crack off. And, um, my personal preference on night bugling, which I do a lot is to do it from an e-bike yeah uh or a dirt bike and then a truck so the e-bike obviously like you're just pedaling and you pull over like i got a baku e-bike it's super dope uh i just pull over bugle listen and keep going on a cat road or logging road dirt bike you kind of have to like goose it say you're going around a corner give it a little bit of goose and then cut the bike and let it coast for as far as it will and then you got to get away from the bike because maybe it's like the radiator. My bike's air cooled, but it's popping or sounds. You know, right, you right. don't want to hear those, so you got to walk away from your bike and then bugle. But a truck is like the slowest because you got to like turn the truck off, not slam the door, give it five minutes, walk way out, bugle off both sides of the road. So e-bikes like super efficient. I mean, you yeah. literally just keep damn near pedal and bugle. But uh, night bugling is a thing, and if you're not as serious about elk hunting as me and Drew forget you ever heard about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's cool okay so that was your first year in montana who are you hunting with and you don't have to say their names but like was it good friends or? yeah yep good friends and um, had you elk hunting with them before well that was our kind of our first year elk hunting but, and how did it um, go did they pass the test and you know what i'm talking about oh yeah they're they're just as tough as i i am you know um i have a pretty small circle of of friends and uh especially if you're going to narrow it down to hunting friends i've got like two so uh there's a reason for that because you know you don't go hunting with people that don't have the same style as you or um the same goals in mind or the same just kind of you kind of got to have a hardened mentality because 99% of the time when you're elk hunting, life sucks, if not 99.5% mm -hmm. of the time. Agreed. That's just the way it is. So you kind of have to be in company of people that can enjoy the suck, enjoy I'm with that not 100%. having a good time. I want a shitty September. Yeah. I do. I want to suffer. Yeah. I want to get tested, right? Yeah. Yep. And that will happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm also probably like you and like, I'm not like September – well, and when I say September, I guess I should define that. Like, I mean all of September. I've set my life up. I've made decisions. I've turned down opportunity to be probably rich in money, to be rich in time. Like, I've literally quit jobs for elk hunting. So yeah. if you're listening and are jealous of me, don't be. You can make the same decisions I have and sacrifices. But I would say, like, September for me is the whole month. And I kind of want to get a be beat up a little bit. And earn, I just kind of want to earn it. Yeah. And 
turns out I always end up having to earn it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it rarely works out easy. Um, but, uh, you know, you think back on a hunt and you say, well, ma- you know, that hunt was easy. But then when you really truly think about it, was it really that easy? You know, you had to dog a herd of elk for uh, 14 miles and follow them the entire day and bugle at them and bugle at them and bugle at them to have them only turn away and run his cows off to another basin. And, yeah, you might have got an elk on the first day, but, I mean – you worked your ass off for it. So no doubt. Even the easy hunts, mm-hmm. they're they're really not easy. And we're gonna interrupt this podcast for a quick little message from Black Rifle Coffee Company. These guys make amazing coffee here in the US and they're veteran owned and they're proudly American and unapologetic. I appreciate that. If you guys are interested in joining their coffee club or picking up maybe some swag, ready to drinks, or check out that new flying elk roast flavor, use the discount code ELKSHAPE and that'll save you 15%. Also, Kafaru International. This is the backpack of choice for elk hunters. I use the Hoodlum or the 44 Mag. You guys need to check out Kafaru International if you are serious about packing out large loads of perfect protein off the mountain. Kafaru makes gear for life, and you can check out some of their line as far as their packs, their frames, their tents, their shelters, their sleeping systems, stoves, and accessories. Head over to kafaru.net to learn more. And finally, Baku e-bikes. These are e-bikes made for hunters by hunters. This is a game changer for elk hunting as well as bear hunting, checking your tree stand trail cams, getting in and out quietly. I rock the mule. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to knock $300 off your purchase. And if you do that, you might as well just go ahead and apply that discount towards a folding cargo trailer so you can put your elk quarters and haul them out back to the truck. I think probably my hardest hunt this year was the one that I I killed a bull in Montana on my first day. Uh, it was the, like, it's literally like if you backed up one day and then went forward one day, so a total it was the hardest three days of my life man i like i laugh thinking about all the work it took just to get my truck packed up and hit the road that was a ton of work and then the long drive and then i got kind of close in the dark so then it was just new it was a new to me unit so i'm just like trying to navigate BLM and National Forest Service roads that are super terrible in the dark and trying to just figure out what I e-scouted and if it was right and then get to camp in the dark, make your camp and then still up in the morning, wake up in the dark and you still don't even know what country you're in. I'd never been that unit before and I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to, I think this is what I marked up on my Google Earth. Long story short, hiked way, way, way in there just to get a vantage had eight days set aside, knew I was going to be patient. And um, I've already talked about this on my podcast. So the Cliff Notes version is super patient. Watched uh, the bull I killed all day and literally never liked where he was bedded, never liked the wind, and saw an opportunity the last 30 minutes of daylight. And I had a lot of ground to cover to get to him. Did, killed, and then I recorded my solo pack out. The next day. I saw that. Yeah. And okay, that was 
somebody made a comment on my YouTube channel that like, they're like, dude, you're delirious on your video. Like you told us the numbers, but your math is off. Like you said, it's 26. <laughs> it's actually 30. Uh, whatever, dude. So 30 miles of packing meat, half of those with meat on your back just to get back to the truck. And then I had adrenaline and I was like, I'll start driving towards home, which is a dumb idea. Looking back, I should have just slept and got a good night's sleep. But you know how it is, homesick, and you have little ones. It's like, oh, yeah. I just can't wait to go see my kids and show them what I did. And those are the hardest three days. And yeah. that was a first day kill. So, yeah, man, I want to get into your elk tactics, Drew. I'm actually itching to pick your brain because I want to kind of make you talk a lot about this next subject. And that is your <laughs> level of sacrifice, discipline, dedication. You're on you're on another level. There's a reason why you're at my house right now. Like, I uh, I don't do a lot of podcasts with people at my house. Like, I wanted to meet you. I knew you had some things going for you that I truly admired. And it, it number one is your discipline and your work ethic. Why are you waking up at 4 a.m. every day and running 20 miles a day? Honestly, I I don't feel like I am disciplined. I feel like I'm I'm always feeling like I'm lazy. I'm not doing enough, and uh, I need to do more. And I don't know if that's just what keeps me going but uh i don't know i i'm my biggest critic you know i'm way harder on myself than than anybody else could be and it, and it should probably be that way but um i just i want to succeed and i know that i have to put as much work into it as possible before before it's actually time to go hunting you know you, you can work your ass off while you're hunting but you can't work your ass off as much during the hunt unless you've worked your ass off prior to the hunt. I mean, it's yeah, like, so you don't rise to the occasion, right? You fall back to your right, level of training, like right. that cliche. Right. Okay. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. I just, I feel like I have a weak mentality and a weak spine. And so I have to force myself to do these things to give myself the confidence that, I'm not weak and that I can, I can succeed. So, so you've pretty much convinced yourself that you could never really rest on your laurels. Like you don't, I don't have any laurels. You have no laurels to rest on. I'm not, I'm not skilled. I'm not athletic. I'm not overly smart. I mean, I'm just the average guy. You know, I played high school sports. I was never a standout in any of them. So I've always felt like that was a pretty good gauge for me growing up uh, that I was average in everything. So I have pretty much average abilities. So if I'm going to be more successful than the average person, I guess I better work twice as hard. I can't argue. I feel that. Um, it's weird for me to do what I do for work, which is the elk shape camp side of things. That's like probably a third of my business. Do you know how weird it is to like go to and try to like show people how to like the blueprint to for success when you're really just kind of sharing your own blueprint, which is very similar to yours. Hi, my name's Dan and I'm obsessed with covering every possible thing that could go wrong while elk hunting, whether it be my shooting my arrow selection, if I have target panic, fitness, obviously, but like fitness to another level to where fitness is an ally. Yeah. It's not like a, a, a pal, but like a true ally that I like 
rely on fitness right. level that makes me limitless in the mountains, which is hard to, to achieve that. And I'm still trying to figure ways to achieve that. And I'm trying to teach these guys like elk behavior and elk calling strategies. But the one thing I'm really trying to teach them is like, I'm not a great elk hunter. Like right. I'm not even that good of an archery shot. Like I'm not that good at archery. I'm not that good at, uh, I'm not the strongest guy. I'm not the fittest guy. I am certainly Dirk Durham reminds me all the time that I, my elk calls suck compared <laughs> to his. And I thought I was doing okay, but turns out I'm not the best caller. So what is it that, what is it? It's, uh, it is between the ears. I will kill an elk when I set out to do it. Like, and I think that's the biggest difference for probably you and me is all our elk hunting takes place between the ears. And it's probably making up for a lackluster of skill skets that we weren't born with and trying to mitigate those 365 in the off season. So what do you think like your biggest chink in your armor is and what do you do to try to mitigate that when it comes to elk hunting specifically? Oh, man, there's there's so many. I have so many weaknesses. Um, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not super proficient at, uh, anything really, uh, other than just, I bet you're pretty good at hiking. I'm just going to guess. Yeah, I can hike all day. Um, but I just have the, I, I guess the only thing I'd say, the only thing I have going for me is I refuse to give up. That's, that's the number one thing. And, and then you, I use things like fear uh, to keep myself going. And what I mean by fear is like I hate or I'm deathly afraid of failure. I hate to fail. It drives me crazy. And, and I think that helps motivate me to do all the preseason work. And it motivates you during a hunt to, um, you know, not throw in the towel. Yeah, you're vested. Yeah. Like you're I mean, super vested. Uh, this last year, I I consider – Mostly a failure. Um, I filled uh, I filled one archery tag in Oregon on a cow last day, and uh, but I didn't get a bull on the ground last year. And um, I hunted for 14 days in New Mexico, passed on a couple bulls the first couple days, um, and then it turned into a grind. And uh, but you just can't throw in that towel. You you have to keep going. And I mean, on the last day, I gave it hell on the last day and I was within bow range of three bulls, three nice bulls, and just couldn't quite couldn't quite make it happen. But you know, and that hunt was over, you know, the only time you can give up is when the state says you have to. Exactly. <laughs> Season's over. Yeah. So uh but but still there's no there's no give up because it's only September fourteenth. Okay, so you had the early season tag, and you just yeah. straight up ran out of time. Yeah, because I don't, uh, I don't care about the. I want to draw a tag. So as far as New Mexico goes, I'll put in for first season every time. Um, and and two, I've since 2015 when I first started, um, the calling and all that is is a highly attractive part of elk hunting, and so I got. I got pretty into those tactics the first couple of years and the last couple of years I've not shied away from them, but just kind of gravitated a little more towards uh less calling and a little more spot and stock. I, I feel a little more confident in that regard. 
rather than being a great caller because I suck at calling, or at mm-hmm. least I think I do. Yeah, and honestly, the the majority of the elk I have harvested have been without calling. And yeah. I was watching my videos last – my 2020 videos on YouTube with um, Tim, my producer. And I'm like, man, I can tell I'm not used to having a camera guy. Like, I would not have been calling. If it had just been me, I just would have shut up and sn- – I don't – I guess I didn't believe that my camera guy, Jake, and I – couldn't sneak in together and so I resorted to a lot of vocalizations one it showed me that I don't sound as good as I thought I did (laughs) I'm just being straight up honest and two that ain't me like I'll call to locate I'll like if I'm in thick timber and brush you bet we'll run midday madness and challenge bulls in their bedroom but for the most part I kind of rely on that transition time and fitness and sneaking in and I like that, man. Yeah. I'm I like, into that. I like sneaky, uh, being stealthy, being close to elk that have no idea you're there. That That's that's like as fun as it gets, you know? I'm agreed. I, I agree 100%. Like you're just kind of a, a witness. You're observing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a couple of my best days this year were uh, the two days prior to opener in New Mexico – I was just kind of like in the middle of elk and uh, you're literally not hunting because it's not open yet. So you're not worried about um, making a shot happen or, or you're just, you're just in their environment. You're just watching them. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm, I'm less than a hundred yards from elk for four or five hours at a time. And it's just a blast. It's a blast. Yeah. And if you can carry that mentality over, to when season's open, I think it leaves you with a high chance for success. No, I agree. And I mean, more power to those that have like a hunting partner. Like say you and I were hunting partners and we were like, I'm your caller today, Drew. You're the shooter. I'm sure we could give it a go. And and I've done it many times for my dad. But... um. I'm trying to be careful with my words, but I'll just say like, I, that's fun. And people say that's the ultimate, but I think my ultimate is to, to net. They never knew I was there. That is another challenge. I like, yeah, you know, that's probably, uh, quite possibly another reason why I've gravitated a little bit away from calling last couple of years is because, uh, well over half of my hunting, probably 75% of my hunting is solo hunting and calling is uh, <laughs> a little different solo hunting than with a partner. I've killed, I've killed a bull solo calling it in. It's happened for me. Oh yeah. But, um, it seems, it feels fairly difficult rather than. Oh, it's level 10 because you get to be the caller and the shooter. And stock, so. And some stars got to align. Yeah. And you're, you got to move and risk being seen and when you advance to the shooter position, yep. I mean, yeah, yeah, man, it's, it's, it is fun. And yep. I, especially in like Idaho, that's all my bulls that I've called in for myself. have been solo and, uh, great. It's great opportunity to learn kind of how bulls think, how they like to see visual hang up spots, wind arcs, when to rake, when to put that bugle tube between your legs and hook on the string. Yeah. You know, there's a lot going on there, but <clears throat> there's something to be said about shooting an animal that you want to eat 
and making a shot while their head's down feeding or while they're like completely looking the other way or kind of distracted versus a bull. It is cool to have a bull come in screaming, drooling, but that dude's, he's ready to fight to the death and his eyes and ears and everything, he's on full alert and his body language and you're trying to send a projectile through his lungs. And it's just, you know, it's tricky. Yeah, and I I'd say the other uh the other thing I like about a spot and stock opportunity versus uh calling a bull to you is I feel like I'm in more control of the situation. Uh when I'm calling a bull in, you can try to predict which lane he's going to use, how he's going to come in, his level of interest, all that kind of stuff, but there's so much up in the air and when you're putting a stock on an animal who doesn't have any idea you're there. Their alert level is, you know, at a one or a zero. Um, I just feel like I have more control over over the situation because I'm the one in motion, not the elk. And it just, I have more confidence with, with that yeah. style. I think everyone should dabble with both. I think yeah, a lot of these sure. new elk hunters are going to get 100%. frustrated yeah. with, well, I saw on YouTube... This guy, you know, do these estrus cow calls and challenge bugle and the bull came right in. Like what you see on TV or even YouTube, you know, these elk are getting like you don't know if those elk have been called that for the whole week leading up to you getting there. Like their level of education or their temperament. Um, I mean, it's great when it works and it works well in certain places. But like for me, I'm also setting myself up to try to get tags in places that are more conducive to my style to where it rewards patience and, you know, master vantage spots, a guy who's willing to pack tripod for binos and a spotter, a guy who's willing to sit on a mountain and watch elk do their thing for a day or two. Dude, like you have to kind of make sure you have the right tag for the right area for the right tactic. Yeah. All right, man. I want to, I want to pick apart your day yesterday. So like yesterday was Friday. What time did you wake up? 4.30. Did you eat breakfast or do you go right out the door? I I go right out the door. I'm not a huge fan of eating before I run. Okay. So 4.30, the alarm goes off. How long does it take to you to get out the door? I'm usually out the door between 4.45 and 5. Okay. Dog goes with you? Yep. Dog always? Almost, all, almost always. I actually prefer not to have the dog, but I take her 99% of the time because uh, that's her chance to exercise for the day too so i feel like a jerk if i don't take her (laughs) okay once you get to the top of the mountain how many miles have you ran just from your house uh usually the long route i'm just under four miles by the time i get to top of beacon okay so once you're at the top are you going to coast on the ridge lines or do you drop back down it depends on uh what day it is how much time i have uh but usually if it's a short day I'll take the exact same route back down and end up with just under eight miles for the morning. Um, If I've got the extra time, I'll get back down. If I say, you know, I have to be dressed and ready for work. Uh, People show up at seven o'clock. So um, if I get down by 6.15, I have a mile loop around a few blocks that that I'll do to add another mile to it or whatever. But uh, I try to do some long runs, uh, on the weekend, you know, um, 
and I don't hit the mountain every day. Sometimes I'll do a flat run on the on the pavement because that's a total different kind of running. Yeah. You know, it works the muscles totally different. Um so I like to do some flat work and some hill work. Okay. But a lot of times you like what's your total mileage for the week like on average cuz I know you're hitting some long runs on the weekends when I see 20 like or marathon. I'm like, "Geez, that guy's yeah, an animal." Yeah. Uh I'd say right now I'm averaging about 9 to 10 miles a day uh on the week. So when the week's over um you know, I'm close to 70 miles. Uh, do you complement that with some sort of weight room or do you go to or train with Kurt at CoreFit or yeah, some CrossFit? I, like what are you doing for Not strength? as much as I'd like to. I'd like to get in and do some uh some classes at at the gym probably twice a week would be ideal for me. Yeah. Um but this year I'm also like I mentioned earlier I'm trying to get more mobility work in at the same time so that I've kind of sacrificed a little of that gym time for some mobility time. And, and what I do for mobility is just an hour of yoga. Love it. And it's made a big difference. Last year, uh, by the time late spring hit, I, I mean, May, I had a, I was averaging 14 miles a day in May. And in June, I was averaging 16 miles a day. And by the end of June, um, I was like, I felt like an old man, you know, I, I needed, I was not doing stretching. I was not, you know, I don't have the money to go in and get massages and that kind of stuff. So, so this year I was like, I gotta, I gotta mix in the mobility with it. And it's, it's making a big difference. I'd still like to get my mileage back up uh, to where it was late last spring or early summer, but, but we'll get there. Cause I'm always fighting shin splints too. So, yeah. So, uh, there's a lot, I mean, it's I have a to do it slowly. Act. I yeah. have to increase mileage slowly. I got flat feet and that kills. It does. I'm a terrible runner. I mean, I have no skill with anything. I have, I've never taken any, um, nobody's ever showed me how to run. I mean, I probably look like a dork out there, but it, it I'm just trying to stay in good shape. I want to be in good shape. That's, That's crazy to me. Like, being flat footed is not great so do you tend to pronate a little bit yeah i yeah. over i over pronate so okay. the insides what is that anterior that's outside what's the the inside of your shins medial yeah um medial lateral so medial tendonitis in your anterior tib that muscle shin splints yeah yeah, yeah. and then do you sleep like the boot to keep your toe in dorsiflexion no i've never even heard of that stuff. oh yeah i have no okay you might want to look that up. <laughs> it's a thing. For real. Like for shin splints, like huh. like plantar flexion or extension like that kind of, you know, is the whole premise of like you probably sleep like that. And so to give the muscle a break and let it recover, dorsiflexion, which I'll, I don't know if you've ever had like tried to sleep like that. It's really hard. Yeah, like I've had a couple shin splints episodes and I've been like, all right, I'm going to sleep dorsiflexed on my back. It's not comfortable. And yeah, so they make a boot for it. It doesn't look comfortable. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll it have doesn't. to look into that. Plantar fasciitis also is like, just does not seem to ever go away very much. And feet are so like hammer toes and bunions, neuromas, and all sorts of bad things can happen. Do you run, um, and this is totally off topic, but do you run like uh, orthotics or custom? Like I just got sheep feet the other day. I just yeah. did the implants to try to get some sort of insert that's, better than what comes standard with most boots. Do you run orthotics? I used to run orthotics. Um, and the more research I did, I was, 
uh, I was getting a lot of uh, stuff online saying that if you have flat feet from uh, that's naturally how your feet are shaped and you don't have fallen arches. Right. If your feet are naturally flat, then you're probably better off not trying to impose an arch on them with orthotics and letting them be flat because that's the way your body developed. Right. So I've kind of gravitated away from the You didn't really see like any anecdotal benefits to having the orthotics or what you thought or perceived? Um, You know, it's hard to say. Hard to say. Yeah. I've never really had too many feet issues, but if you look at my left foot right here, and sorry, listeners, do you see that bump right there? Yeah. Yeah, I do. That's from elk hunting too much. Yeah. One year, I just, I had to go to a podiatrist. I'm like, I feel like I broke a tendon in my, uh, what toe was that? My second big toe, like the one right next to, I guess it'd be your index toe if you were, if you were looking at feet, but right. it just looks like the tendons got broke and the, it's just got a, kind of sticks up. And I had to tape it down and go see a podiatrist. And she was like, yeah, that's going to be some scar tissue in there. Actually, probably always going to be up a little bit. Your body will adapt. Um, take care of your freaking feet, idiot. And uh, <laughs> she was a friend of mine. She came to my gym at the time. And um, But long story short is I really believe in feet. I really believe in foot care. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't get blisters when hunting. Um, and so – and I haven't forever and ever and knock on wood. I really am like picky about the type of sock I wear because I, I can get sweaty feet real easy. Uh, and then the type of boots, if you look over to Drew, you look over to your left, you got <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pairs of hunting boots. Oh, yeah. oh, nine. Like you can like I'm still testing right now trying to pick the right foot like because uh, it's all about footwear. What do you wear for boots? Um, so I've always worn Kenetrex, uh, last year, which ones do you know? Uh, I've, uh, I've done the hard scrabbles and the mountain extremes is what I have right now. Have you ever tried the guides, the mountain guides? No. Okay. No. Uh, but this last year in New Mexico, I wanted a, I wanted a lighter, faster boot. So I, uh, grabbed a pair of those, uh, crispy, uh, Laponias or Laponias. I don't know how you pronounce them. And uh, those were uh, – I really enjoyed the, the lightweight of those. So How was the toe box on the Krispies compared to the Kinetrix? Uh, it's it's thinner. I need a – I don't know. I don't think they make those Laponies in a wide, but I wish they did because that would definitely be my cup of tea. And I'm even con- contemplating – I've never bought my Kinetrix in a wide, but I think I probably should uh, get a double E. But, yeah, so feet um, – Feet are a huge deal, and and when it comes to running, honestly, that's been the biggest benefit of the running for me. Not even the the your legs in shape or or cardiovascularly, yeah. but because I I'm sure if you run up a hill versus uh, hiking up a hill, even with maybe twenty pounds on your back, it's it's totally different. You're you're working totally different muscle groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so you still got to get out and do some hiking to, to get those elk legs ready, not just running. At least I feel like that for me. I completely agree. But I've never, my feet have never been as tough as they have been since I started running on a daily basis. Mm. Um, my feet are bulletproof now. I used to get blisters. I actually had a, uh, years and years ago, I submitted an article to, uh, 
uh, Eastman's bow hunting journal and they printed it. And the name oh. of it was blisters and backstraps because I went on a, um, Washington state up by Lake Chelan, um, backcountry hunt and my feet just blistered. Mm-hmm. This was like, this was like 11, 12 years ago. I was wearing, I don't know, a pair of Merrell's or something. Who knows what I was wearing, but, uh, my feet blistered and I was in agony mm-hmm. the whole hunt up there. But I ended up shooting a uh, really nice velvet buck and and uh, but so I've struggled with blisters and my feet just hot spots, oh. all that kind of stuff. And, like I I hike twelve, thirteen, fourteen miles in a day out elk hunting. Elevation changes at the end of the day when you sit down and you're going to go to sleep. What is bothering me the most. What makes me not want to get back up and hunt the most the next morning has always been my feet. Yep. This year it was a totally different story. Yeah. My my feet are one of the strongest things I've got now, and it's and I attribute it all to the running. Oh yeah, and you're just mixing it up. You're you're mixing your distances. You're doing all those like you're running trails and yeah. you're getting lots of hill climbs, but yep. you're not walk. You're running those, and I can't argue. I feel like man, a little convicted. Like I live so close to you in that mountain. I have to start adding more running, and I'm I'm fairly like I like running. I'm. I've been pretty good at it most of my life. So I have tried to not spend a lot of time on it, Yeah, but I feel like it could be slipping a little bit. So I do kind of, you got me fired up to maybe do some trail run a little bit. Like <laughs> not teach all me the how time, to run. <laughs> certainly not all day. Yeah. But I think it's cool to run mountains. I really do. In doses. Um, okay. So what you, you got, uh, you got your feet dialed. Let's talk about, I want to get to your nutrition before I get you out of here. But so you've, you've killed a lot of, good bulls here recently like what would you say like again all spot and stock or sneaking in they were unaware of your presence um no i've i've done both i've got them both ways but um the the most memorable or my favorite experiences are the ones i've got spot and stock okay what's your favorite uh state to hunt oh any state that'll give me an elk tag Mm -hmm. that has elk when it comes to (laughs) getting an elk tag even nowadays like like how psycho are you? Like, are you level ten on trying to get tags? Yeah, I think about it constantly. Okay, all, all day, every day. Um, and I, 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 I panic about it. Like, I'm, I'm always panicking about, uh, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be harder to get tags this year. I'm not, I'm not gonna get tags this year. I, I've got to figure out how to get tags this year because every state, uh, you know, like I, I'm freaking out about Montana. I think. Um, I'm not going to get a tag in Montana this year. I'm always, always worrying about that. Yeah. So. No, same here. I know that a lot of really good elk hunters, that's, that's just common. That's super like we're, we're obsessing over how to get the right tags and get as many tags in our, our hands as possible. While other people are worried about, I don't know, like what to post on Instagram. I don't know what people think about, but literally tag allocation is always at the forefront and e-scouting like insane. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, I don't do as much e-scouting as I, as I did in the past. Um, and I, I think last year I probably should have done more than I did, but, um, usually once I have my tags and I know where I'm going to be, I usually have a topo made, a custom topo made sent to me, pin it up on a wall and I just start making marks on it where I think I'm going to find elk. I look at Google earth and I use that. Where do that you order to, your uh, topo from? 
I think it's called My Topo. Yeah. I, I believe that's yeah. the name of it. Um, so that's that's been a thing I started a few years ago. I get a nice big, like, three-footer, and I just pin it on the wall, and, and I can really start studying the terrain mm-hmm. and where I think elk are going to be. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm pretty confident that elk are going to be in most of the places where I think they're going to be. But um, I think one, one weak spot for me is, uh, you know, we, we all do – we do all public land hunting. Everything I do is public land. Mm-hmm. So one thing I'm not as good at predicting, I think, is where the people are going to be. Um, oh, certainly. And and that's changed over the last five years, you know? Dude, hasn't it's, it? I yeah, mean, it's, it's not the – It's you can't take the mentality of – like, for instance, last year, uh, one of my oversights was in New Mexico. I thought, okay, this unit that I ha- am going to be at is a large unit. It was a really large unit. Um, there's a lot of roads and a lot of it, and there's some space spots that are roadless. And I was like, okay, well, obviously that's a good place for me to start. Uh, but I got down there and, you know, there was, there was, uh, guys in good shape that had the same mentality that I did. So then and they, they literally of, saw what you saw. Yeah. Did you get, get back there and see tents? Like what happened? No, it, it it wasn't that bad. It was just uh, just more human traffic than I wanted, and that that got the elk from you know alert level zero to alert level four. It only takes a day or two. It doesn't take long. And uh, so then it was like I'm trying to find the little niches, you know, the the places where guys like me and my mentality don't bother because there's too many roads. But the guys who hunt the roads are not going to go to because it's just a little too far from the road. Yep. And I and I had I had success in those places at least getting on the elk and, but still I mean, the tough part about a lot of those little honey holes is, and especially if you're going to be a caller, a vocalization utilizer, <laughs> uh, you can be heard still and and that screwed me up on a nice bull um i was in this little hole that was kind of away from roads so the road hunters weren't hitting it the backpack hunters they don't they're not even it's not even on their radar and uh i got a a pretty nice bull to crack i didn't know he was nice at the time i hadn't seen him yet but i got him to crack off with a little bit of calling but he was pretty lazy he wasn't super Mm -hmm. uh amped up but I spent like an hour and a half with just some very basic calls. And after that hour and a half, man, I had him fired up and I was like, okay, we're at a, we're at a level now where this can happen. Mm -hmm. But all that time going on, somebody down on a road had heard me. Oh, And uh, all of a sudden I got these mews coming up this draw that's between me and this bull and you can tell it's a hunter and and then you're like checking the wind and you're like what's this guy doing he's going he's going right into the wind um do you know how many people are just like listening going the same thing happened to me last year <laughs> yeah seriously yeah. i mean yeah i wonder if i have done that to anyone although i don't call that much but yeah, I don't know. That sucks. Like to have hun- another hunter kind of get between you and you did the slow play. Yeah. You built up the anticipation. You got his bugle juice to finally flow with. Right. And you <laughs> you also invited a bunch. That's tough, man. Yeah, and he got blown out and I 
I chased him two, three miles, and uh, he settled back into a new spot. And did he I push his cows? Him, uh, he didn't have cows. Even better. Yeah. Um, and I got him working again, and this time uh, I was alone. But uh, same thing with the calling. Like you said, solo calling at a certain point, you have to transition physically from a collar location to a shooter location. And the country, there's fair – I mean, there's trees, but it's its pretty open. Yeah. There's, there's no brush in the understory. And uh, he caught me in transition uh, about 100 yards away to a spot where I wanted to shoot from. Yep. And he was a nice bull, but oh well. Mm. I love it, man. I you're so diehard hunting solo. Do you ever get? Um, is your fear of failure so like so high that it probably o- overcomes rational thinking? At least it does for me. Like as a solo hunter, like I'm being afraid of the dark or um, just being by yourself, way back away from your like the, all that kind of stuff. Just doesn't even really register anymore because I just want to kill an elk that bad. Yeah, I have. You have to put those things out of your mind. I mean. Um, there's only one goal in mind and that is to get a bull on the ground. So any of those other things, uh, they're just, they're in the way. So you have to just, you just have to get them out of the way mentally. Yeah. My <laughs> kryptonite is not, uh, is not my wife. Cause I've was married to her for so many years without kids and I was doing what I do now. I just out kind of my brains out. She became very, like she was independent. It was cool. She knew she was getting a better version of me when I got home. Like, I needed this. This was my therapy. It's called elk hunting. Keeps me sane and cool. Like, I, we don't reach out and touch talk that much. I'm not a talk every day to my wife guy when yeah. I'm hunting. Yeah. I'm now that I got here. kids, it's like I'm not used to that. So, like, that's the one chink in my armor. That's my kryptonite is my kids. So, I do if I get cell service and – and they're not in school. I'm like, I want to sneak a FaceTime in or something. That's, you know what I that's mean? That's funny. I just learned that um, for myself this year. So I've got I've got four kids, and um, three of them are quite a bit older. And I, I don't know why. It, maybe it's just because they're all boys. But um, I do okay not talking to them every day or every other day. And I, I don't suffer from any kind of homesickness usually at least I never have until this last year I've got a new little baby girl and uh you know last September she was only um like 6 months old and I experienced some significant homesickness for the first time in my elk hunting life mm-hmm. and yeah that was a total weakness that I I wasn't pre- I wasn't prepared for it at all because it's something I'd never had to deal with before mm-hmm. um and yeah, that 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 got really difficult for uh, a little bit, but you know, it's not something that uh, stops you from hunting. But I think it does; it, it pulls your focus away sometimes when you should be figuring out, you know, how you're getting a bull on the ground, and you're instead missing home. But yeah, I mean, and as a like a solo backcountry elk hunter or, or whatever you want to call us, dude, like from the time the alarm goes off till the time we put our head down at night. I'm not really distracted. I'm trying to kill an elk. Yeah. But that last, you know, you lay down, there's like 10, 15 minutes till you fall asleep. You're like, you're not thinking about, well, well, maybe you are a little where I'm going to go tomorrow. I do think about it, but like, there's going to be thoughts of the, 
the fam, the kids, the, right. what are they doing right now? How was their day? And uh, that's part of it. And honestly, it's part of like enjoying them more when you get home with that new fresh perspective. Yeah. You feel that? Yeah. The weakness isn't like it's the middle of the day you're elk hunting and all of a sudden you're thinking about your kids at home. It's it's when you're in your tent at night and you're having you've had a rough three days right <laughs> or four or five yeah yeah and then you're thinking about your family and you're missing home and that doesn't play well with your um your confidence and so you can start when you're if you're sad and missing home your mental capacity to stay positive is reduced you mm -hmm. start thinking oh i you know you make excuses for yourself yeah and that's that's where the the weakness comes in with homesickness. I uh, I feel that man. That's cool. Where do you think you get like a lot of your motivation, or where like who has inspired you to like kind of look at look at yourself and be like, you know what, I'm not I'm not talented at one thing, so I need to be talented at working harder than everybody else. Like, where do you get your inspiration? Like, who's uh, well, inspired you? The man, Cameron Haynes. When did you learn about him? Oh, I used to read his articles when I was. Uh, a teenager just getting into bow hunting, you know, Eastman's bow hunting. Um, and he, he'd have those articles of, I always remember this one. I don't remember what run it was. Um, might've been, uh, the big horn or something like that, but it was like a 50 mile run or something, mountain run race. And he did an article and he, he'd posted these pictures of his feet either after or during the race. And, and they were just bloody and all messed up. And I'm like, like that guy is, uh, you know, he's not human. Uh, and, and until you put yourself in those situations and force yourself to get uncomfortable and to suffer and to figure out how to enjoy suffering or at least uh, have some type of a love-hate relationship with it, um, those people don't seem human mm -hmm. uh, until you force it upon yourself. Yeah. So – and I've always, I've always been a, a tough. I've, I've always wanted to be a tough guy, and so when I see somebody who's obviously way tougher than me, that's going to inspire me to um, be tougher than I currently am right yeah. now. Oh, I like that. Talk to us about your um, normal life. Like, what do you do for work? Like. How do you like put you know food on the table for your family and uh, a little bit of that kind of stuff? I'm just a regular old small business owner, um, electrical contractor. I'm an electrician. Worked for a company for better part of ten years, and then decided that, uh, um, or at least got the level of confidence that nobody can do as well at putting food on my family's table as I can. Like, I don't want to rely on somebody else to give me the money to, to, uh, you know, go buy groceries. I'm, I'm going to figure out how to do it myself. And so, uh, so I decided to open up my own little small electrical company and, uh, we're still super small, but we're, we're successful. We're doing great. So, so did you like, were you strategic when you left your employer and went on your own? Did you like have some gigs lined up or did you just straight up go? Actually, it was kind of, uh, no, it was more like, um, we were, the company was super slow. It was a bad time in the economy. This is back in like 2014. 
the economy as far as construction goes yeah. anyways it, it was popping. it was terrible yeah and our company had gone from uh when i first was hired in like 2008 there was like 30 some guys and after the stock uh market crash like right about the time i got hired but it there's a big lag before things really slowed down but 2012 2013 you know our company was struggling there was like five of us left or eight of us left from 30 holy smokes yeah and survival uh, of the fittest yep pretty much so at a certain point we started to pick back up a little bit but i was always doing work on the side for people and those calls on my phone just started get increasing you know and it was like man you know maybe i could do this maybe i've got enough clientele built up that i could do my own thing and then we hit springtime which is always kind of a slow period for us and so they wanted to lay off some of our um less tenured journeymen Mm -hmm. and i and i i'm really good friends one of my one of my best friends is the still the manager there and was the manager then i said i said hey why don't you uh why don't you just lay me off I've got enough side work lined up for like three months. Lay me off and let these one of these other guys keep their job. Um, and he said, "All right, that's that's fine with me if it's fine with you." So so he laid me off, and uh, you know, I he like three months later, he's like, "Hey, we got lots of work. We're we're ready for you to back." And I was like, "I'm not coming back." Nice. <laughs> That's, and he was cool with it, you know. Yeah. He, and I that that was important to me to uh, not burn bridges and always remain um, keep those relationships. I'm still 100%. good friends with the owner and the manager and everybody down there. I, I love that company. They're they're yeah. great. So that Dude, was. I'm all about like not trying to burn those bridges. Like I think you just learn that as you figure out how this world works. Yeah. And 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 when you're young, you don't understand that that will eventually at some point come around to you know bite you in the ass. And you wouldn't want someone to treat you that way either. It goes back. To, uh, I I applaud you. So, as an, how long ago was that? Uh, Two thousand fourteen. So like I think. that's six, seven years ago. You've been yeah. on your own now. Yeah. Learning curve wise and all that stuff. Like, how was it? Figuring out, working on the business, but then also working in the business, getting subs or employees or contractors, and evolving, growing managing your growth like take us to that journey a little bit for me it always has been and probably always will be an extremely slow process um i'm not one to stick my neck way out there uh i want to i want to take risks but calculated smaller risks and be patient and build myself up over time and so that's what i've done i mean so i'm into this six years now and and i've got uh Two employees that work for me. Three, if you count. My mom works for me part-time doing books. Oh, yeah. And uh, and my dad and I are partners with – so he he does construction, though, which is kind of separate. I don't – I'm not super involved in that, and I do the electrical, and he's not super involved in that. But, you know, we're all under one banner. But uh, it's – yeah, to me, I just like to go little steps at a time. Are you ready to build my gym back there for me? Like my shop gym? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, I'm a fan of big risks in certain aspects of my life. When it comes to elk hunting, I'll take, uh, you know, as many risks as necessary. Yeah. 
because there's only one person who's affected by a massive failure and that's me. I have a harder time doing that with my business because my whole entire family is affected by that, yep. those choices. So my risks are more calculated and more small because I feel a higher level of responsibility to other people. Oh, yeah. But. And I think that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur. If it's meant to be, it's up to you. Yeah. I always say that, but I really believe it. Obviously, I feel like God's in control, but at some point, your effort, your commitment, the energy, your dedication, your discipline – that's what I mean when I say if it's meant to be, it's up to me to like to stay the stay the path. Uh, your marriage, you're on your second marriage. Yep. You just had a new baby. You had three kids with the prior gal. New, how long have you been married? Second time around. Uh, we're gonna coming up on three or four years right now. Is she an elk hunter? No, but she grew up in an elk hunting family. Yeah, where her folks were like guides and stuff. Yeah, her folks were the outfitters. Um, in uh or an outfitter in eastern oregon for i think they did it for like 20 years mm, so she and, grew up around horses oh yeah she knows she's she's that girl country girl yep she she's, knows what it's like to have elk on the dinner table she's eaten elk meat her whole life in fact i knew i knew i had something special when i went to her house or her apartment for the first time and uh she had elk meat in her freezer and I was like, and she was living, she was living on her own. Oh yeah. It, it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like there was elk meat in her parents' freezer. No, no, I no. mean, this gal is eating, she's, she's living by herself. She's eating elk meat. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know too many gals who, who enjoy eating a lot of wild game. And, mm -hmm. and that's what she was living on. So dude, I, I get it. <laughs> that's awesome, <laughs> man. All right. So you guys had a baby, uh, 11 month year old daughter. Yep. Like. You think you're a badass MFer, and then you have a daughter, yeah. and you realize you are absolutely putty. Yeah. You're pathetically soft, right? I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't ready for that feeling. Um, I didn't think having a daughter would be too much different than having boys, but yeah, it's it's totally different. Mm-hmm. No, totally. it's. Uh, I get it, and it just keeps getting worse. Like my daughter's <laughs> only six, and I can just tell like she's literally like they say wrapped around your finger, but it's like yeah. The reason why they say that is because, like, they literally have you wrapped completely around their finger. Yep. And uh, I just, uh, yeah, it's the best. It's the best thing ever. Um, your nutrition's crazy, dude. We got to go over it before <laughs> okay. I get you out of here. I know I'm keeping you long, but uh, no worries. And Drew, guys, Drew, I begged him to podcast with me. Like, uh, I love finding. I really like finding really dedicated blue collar elk hunters. Like I know there's Insta famous people out there and we'll get some cool popular people on this podcast. And they, by the way, some of them are a pain in the ass. Like I don't want to, I'm not going to call anyone out, but I've lined up podcasts with like amazingly popular, well-known people in the hunting industry, in the CrossFit industry, um, in the influencer industry. And at least they'll just flake. They'll like literally just cancel last minute or they'll send you an email and say, yeah, I have time here, here. And you reply back, okay, I have time right here. Let's do it. And then you hear nothing. I guess I'm going to rant. <laughs> I can't handle that. Like, so if you want to know my biggest pet peeve in this world, it is not responding 
to somebody. And I'm not talking like a direct message on Instagram because if you saw like most Instagram people, it's like, like I can't get back to everybody. It's impossible. Right. right. Emails, I'll get back to you within 24 hours. That's like my own personal rule. Voicemail, I try to get back to you in the same day. Same yeah. with text. Like at some point, unless you get buried way under there, I'll get back to you at least like right. out of respect because you're a human being. But I don't have a tolerance for people that flake out. You make something <laughs> and then you don't like – very little tolerance for that. Anyways, so Drew fit the cup for me of like, dude's blue collar. Dude's up before I am. He's already on top of the mountain, and I just got out of bed. I hate this guy. He kills big <laughs> bulls. Uh, and then as I got to know you, you make me look like a slappy when it comes to butchering and processing elk. Like I have my own cool bot, my own walk-in cooler. I have a lot of – I butcher my own elk, but I ain't on your level, bro. So let's talk about <laughs> carnivore Drew. Let's hear about it. Like, wh- how long have you been on the carnivore diet? Uh, like, 14 months. How do you feel? Great. I love it. You do? Yeah. Sell I, me on it. Go. Um, <laughs> so, I'm not, like, strict, dogmatic style carnivore. I like to um, – I'm, like, 90% animal-based and uh, mix in just a few other things, you know. Uh, I've got an affinity for peanut butter, and so every once in a while, I just have to have just a little peanut butter. How do you have a little peanut butter, honestly? I, <laughs> like, how is that even possible? You lie, and you have a lot, <laughs> and you say you had a little. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I'm not into just being super strict on anything like yeah. that. But I just want to, yeah, I feel the best when I'm eating a lot of meat, and I love meat, so why? Why pick a diet where I'm force feeding myself stuff like broccoli and stuff that, you know. So you don't eat vegetables? No. uh, There's a few vegetables that I really love. And in the summertime when it's the season, I'll I'll have some. I love some good peppers, you know. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. You know, slice up some jalapenos and have them with – a meal, yeah, tacos, fajitas, but you're not something. Eating a salad, like no, nope, I don't eat, eat salad. Kale, I don't eat salad. No, nope. these superfoods that are supposed to be so healthy for you with all these phytonutrients. Nothing, no, they're not super. Do you, so? Do you think you get all the nutrition you need, or do you have to supplement on this carnivore? No, no, I don't do supplements. I don't. I'm not a big fan of uh, like you know guys do pre workout and all that kind of stuff. I mean, like vitamins, minerals. No, like, no. are you worried that you're missing anything with no, this diet being that. kind of so narrow? Yeah, none of that. Okay. I don't do any of that. I have uh, – so when I kill an elk or a deer, um, I'm a nose-to-tail kind of guy. I like to bring out everything I can. So okay. I've always got liver in the freezer. Okay. I've always got kidneys in the freezer, Okay. heart, all that stuff. I bring it home. Um, and I don't even eat a lot of that because some guys will say, well, the only way you can be on that diet is if you're eating organ meats. And I don't, I honestly, I don't think that's even true, but I like to, I like to have a little liver now and again. Have you had your labs done? Why? No, I would like to just to, it would be interesting for the hell of it, but I could probably, uh, I'd love to see your like, like, like a full lab breakdown on your blood work. But I think you can decide like a lot of it can go into how you feel, how you perform and how you recover. And obviously you're doing pretty good. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not a huge guy on, uh, analytics or technology um i'm i mean i think those things are great for people who are actually real athletes that are looking for um specific 
gains and goals. I'm just out there trying to break a sweat, um, stay in good shape, and suffer. You know, it's super important to me that I suffer through something at least every day. Amen to that. Right? At yeah. least one thing that sucks every day. Yep. Um, but uh, the nutrition is it's just it works best for me right so you don't feel like there's like i mean it sounds like there's a lot of pros but and you have canines like the way you were designed yeah i could see that but like i haven't looked a lot into it i've never seen anyone stick to it and so i've always been kind of critical of it uh i've seen people that like to get on it for a period of time on purpose knowing they're going to get off but like Let's say you're having like a massive ice cream addiction at night um, and you put on 20 and you're like, dude, enough of this shit. I need to do some. Like, yeah, maybe you do need to try the carnivore-esque diet for 30 days to kind of get your sugar addiction calmed down. But like you're, you've been doing it sustainably for over a year. Uh, yeah. And, and speaking of ice cream, that's like, it's always been my whole life, like one of my favorite foods. I love ice cream. Same here. I've got a sweet tooth, to be honest. Yeah. But, um, and honestly, I'd say being on this diet has made my sweet tooth not as bad, but I still have, I still have a sweet tooth. Yeah. Um, yeah. You still get those yeah. late night or whatever. Oh, ice cream sounds really good. Yeah. Right I make now. my own homemade ice cream. I haven't done it in a while, but I'll make uh, my own homemade keto ice cream and oh, okay. cheat on that every once in a while. But, uh. Um, did you try keto first before going to carnivore? No. How did I, you end up on carnivore? I mean, that's a pretty hardcore way to go. Yeah. Like I said, when it comes to things that only affect me, I don't mind taking a huge risk, just jumping in, yeah. you know? Yeah. I love, I love experimenting with, um, unconventional things because I think a lot of conventional uh, ideas and wisdom out there are totally false. Sure. I'm, I'm always pushing the envelope because I don't trust, uh, I don't trust what everybody says. This is what you need to do. You know, I've even, um, I've, I've gone so far as to experiment with, uh, let's say I quit brushing my teeth. I did that like a year and a half ago. I brushed my teeth like twice a week. Okay. No cavities. Yeah. No problems. I don't go to a dentist. I yeah. went in. I went in once uh, in July last year because I I had been experimenting with this for over a year, and I was like, okay, let's go to the dentist and see what they say. Do I have cavities? What? And they were like, man, your teeth are great. Finally got to the good stuff out of you. <laughs> Took me an hour and seventeen minutes to start getting into some crazy. Yeah, you have nice teeth. I don't. I don't. I. You would not be able to tell. You don't have meth teeth or anything no. like that coming in here. Um. <laughs> Let me tell you a little side note on your theory is like I've had people back when I owned my gym tell me that they don't wear deodorant. Yeah. And uh, I don't wear it every day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's cool. But if you're going to come to my gym and you're a stinky asshole, <laughs> I will literally pull you out in front of everybody and call you up and be like, hey, I agree. I remember this one guy like he's like, yeah, I don't wear deodorant. And I was like, OK, I don't know you that well, but I'm going to tell you this right now. Like you're going to you're going to you're going to wear deodorant or Axe body spray when you come in here because you smell terrible and you're ruining other people's workout experience. Yeah. If you stink, you should probably put some on or take a shower or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But other than that, I mean, I, I know some people don't wear deodorant. I know that I actually bought a hippie deodorant, um, 
last time I bought deodorant, so I'm still using it. And it's like, it's like called Tom's or something. Tom's. Oh, yeah. And yeah. It, I mean, there's some horror research on deodorants and some of the toxins and aluminum yeah. and metals or whatever. And yeah. all, a link to Alzheimer's and all all sorts of stuff. But, uh, yeah, man, we could get down some crazy rabbit oh, holes yeah. on this I, stuff. I could go down a lot. I'm, I was raised holistic, and so I've got all sorts of wacky wacky ideas well give me one more good wacky idea that you got going on i love this stuff um man i don't know the i'm not into uh medicine really i don't take i don't even pack i don't it's probably super common for elk hunters to have some kind of um advil or uh ibuprofen or whatever in their packs i've never had it. i know cats that take tylenol pm Every night, todos los días, because they they like that they just lean on that. Yeah, I don't they, know. I don't know if I've ever had a Tylenol. I don't know if I've ever had an ibuprofen. I'm not really sure. How old are you? Thirty six. Never had ibuprofen. Not that I can remember. That's legitimate, man. So who's the hippie in your family? Is it your mom? My mom. Yeah. Yeah, I love her already. Yeah, I want to get her she's on. She's awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. So what do you do to mitigate pain? You just get tougher. I just deal with what it. About inflammation. Like, yeah. say you had an acute injury, you wouldn't take ibs or nope. some sort. of Okay. No. Just ice it. So the pain elevate it. The pain's there for a reason. It's going to um make me protect that area until it gets better. Yeah. And so uh my only job is to um recognize that, push it as far as I can, but also respect it so that I don't injure myself even more. Yeah. No, I see. I knew I wanted to get you on here. I knew this would be gold. I like having <laughs> like crazy conversations. Not, and I have no notes in front of me. I didn't plan or prepare this one. I just knew we were going to talk and see where it goes. So if this is random to folks listening, I'm not sorry. The, it, From what I can tell, you know more about archery than your average guy. Like So think about when I do these camps. Like I got guys that don't even know what arrow weight or spine or gpi or bow poundage let off right and then i got guys on the other end of the spectrum that know more than i do right um uh and they have their theories and ideas and a lot of times they're great but where are you at on your bow education? you know you shot recurve uh you've been doing compound for this is going on year six or seven for you compound like what bow do you shoot uh, i'm shooting the v3 why did you decide on a matthews when I first transitioned from recurve to compound, I wanted a bow that was going to um, be what I what I felt like was going to be the easiest transition. And it just so happened to be that that year, Matthews came out with the no cam. The no cam. And that was a bow that was a little easier for me to wrap my head around being able to work with because – I've I've never trusted anybody to work on my own stuff, whether it's my car, my bow, my guns, whatever. I like I like to do all my own stuff. Okay. So uh, that seemed like a little bit more simple bow to work with. Um, so I went with that. I liked it. It was slow, but when you're coming from you know because everybody what 106 70 feet a second, you're yeah. like. Everybody bitched that the Matthews no cam was slow, and it was a you know. Oh, it was really? Like it was like, well, I just came from shooting a sixty-three pound recurve pushing uh, nine hundred and fifty grain arrows. So when I go to Holy a Matthews crap. no cam, 
uh, I'm shooting way faster yep. than I ever have, so <laughs> it didn't bother me at all. What do you think? I was guessing 160 on feet per second for your recurve setup, but I didn't know your I've arrow. I've never shot my uh, recurve through a chrono, so I don't with know. 950 total weight setup. That's yeah. Yeah, that's got some penetration. Oh, man, it would hammer deer when uh, I would Ranch hit it. Ranch Ferry and Ashby, Dr. Ashby would be so yep. proud of you. Yeah, I'm an Ashby guy. That's cool. I brought that philosophy over to compound. Well, I, let's, dig, let's dig into your compound setup. So you got – you. You stuck with the Matthews. Have you ever tried other manufacturers? Nope. I've never. I ha, I did actually um, at the bow shop at SVA, uh, I shot a solution, a Bowtech solution okay. this year. One shot just because a buddy was shooting it. And so I thought, hey, I better I better shoot that once. And I thought that was pretty pretty smooth. I liked it. And then uh, I've heard good things about that rig. And then I have not shot the Ventum, but I shot uh, – Last year's Hoyt, what was that? Couldn't tell. Arcs five, maybe Arcs four. I'm not sure. Arcs RX something probably. It was. It wasn't the carbon. It was the other one. Oh, uh, uh, helium. Uh, yeah. Uh, no. Helix. Uh, I Axius. Axis. Axis. I, I don't I shop for Hoyt for three years now, so I've come out of the loop. But I've noticed what they did this year, and it looks like. They actually finally changed some stuff. Yeah, the Ventum looks really cool. I was actually super interested yeah. in that. I did. I have shot it um, secretively just to see how it feels and stuff. Yeah, what would you think? Um, man, I think they're trying to – it feels like a Matthews a little bit. Did it? You know, it didn't feel like a Hoyt. It felt like a Matthews. So yeah. maybe they're starting to like what Matthews is doing. I certainly have. You know, I get – one of my good friends from who does really does not like vegetables and likes meat, and he probably listens to this podcast, and he's probably lives in New Mexico – was giving me a whole bunch of shit on Instagram that he's like like messaging me like, dude, I know you still love Hoyt. Like I know you do deep <laughs> down. And I really replied to him like, listen, he's one of my best friends. I'm like, no, you're dead wrong. Like I absolutely love Matthews. Like yeah. I'm really, really love the engineering behind it. A lot. Of, it's just making a lot of sense to me at this point. I think they're on top. Yeah. I love Matthews. Um, I would probably be the first to tell you I'm probably not the guy to ask about why Matthews because I'm the guy who hasn't shot the others. So mm -hmm. I really don't have a frame of reference. Sure. But I like it. Why change? I think uh, for a lot of reasons I like Matthews, but I think the engineers have kind of like done things that no one's done yet as far as like I don't need to loosen an Allen and move a button for draw length like if I can change out mods and have yeah. mods, I can go from, okay, so 75 pounds down to 60 pounds for whitetail. Yeah. Or I can go 85% off down to 80 with just, without even a bow press. Yeah. I love, I, I love that. It might be a little more expensive because you're buying mods, but it's simpler and, uh, I mean, it's super straightforward. And then I can, I don't, you don't have to buy new cams if like I want to sell my bow to you. Yep. And you're obviously a lot taller. How tall are you? I'm almost 6'2", I think. Almost 6'2", and your draw length's what, 30-something? Yeah, I'm going back and forth on what it should be. I'm shooting 30, but, uh, God, I just feel like maybe I should be 30 and a half. I'm not sure. Well. Better to be a little short than a little long. I agree. And that's where I'm at right now. I agree, to make it dynamic. So, yeah, like the Matthews Engineers, I feel like, yeah, for the cam or from the axle to axle, they feel longer than they are, and people say that. It's not cliche, really. Like, these bows feel more forgiving, more stable yeah. than they really are. Um, that engaged leg limbs are so dope for, yeah. for hunting out west where you can load an arrow 
and keep your gauge leg limbs on and set your bow down for a second and your cams aren't in the ground right and you can shoot with it on i really like that for elk hunting yeah um i think their aesthetics are good and um it all comes down to tunability yeah like i can literally get those things to tune pretty easy and i can shoot fixed broadheads super long distances and i'm sure you can do it with other bows too but i find it very very much forgiving and the and i think the this is me being really transparent the biggest difference i've noticed in the last three years and my bow stay in tune yeah like I the don't, timing yeah like i stays the timing stays on like i don't i'm not taking my bow in every thousand arrows and be like oh i'm out of time yeah. my bottom cam's not hitting the same time as my top cam yeah yeah i've i've never had too many issues with that i'll tell you what there's only i think it says a lot about a bow if you're um if you're not looking around at the other bows and saying, man, I wish my bow did that mm-hmm. or had that feature. And with Matthews, with the with the V3, honestly, there's only maybe one thing I could say from another manufacturer that would be cool if Matthews incorporated that. What's and that? That would be the cam adjustments that Bowtech's doing. Right, versus the, the top hats. Yeah, and I, that would be I sweet. Agree. But That's the top hats cool. aren't a big deal. But you do that once. Yeah. That's not – so, like, I've top hat my 31 with supervision from my buddy Josh. <laughs> and uh, Josh knows this. It's like we I won't top hat ever again. Right. So stick in the press once, yep. get the top hats because I want to shoot bullet holes and I want to follow their specs. I want to have my – Rest 13 sixteenths from the riser. Yeah. And I'm not willing to move it all over to get a paper right. hole. I will do it the the shimming or whatever you guys want to call it. So right. wheel orientation. But I feel that. Do you have your own bow press? Yeah. Okay, that's not normal. It isn't? No. <laughs> like you see mine right there. Oh, yeah. But that's not normal. When did you get a bow press? Uh, I got it last year. You did? Yeah. Because, you know, if you're going to work on all your own stuff and you want to be able to do everything, you have to have one. Who taught you how to put your bow in the press and do Nobody. wheeling? Who taught you how to tie D-loops or put serving on? or YouTube. YouTube? Yep. And you just geeked out and were like, I'm going to learn this? Yeah, figure it out. I've had a D-loop that I put on uh, mid-draw, pull out. and Did you get punched in the face? You know, I can't remember. I'm sure I probably did, but the only thing I remember, because I'm a cheap ass, I was worried about losing my arrow, but I think I found it. <laughs> Dude, that's not being cheap. Air, I, boutique oh, arrows are not cool, y'all. Yeah. I hate how like I'm not sponsored by any arrow company, and um, what arrows are you shooting? I don't know yet. Like so, yeah. I have what I've used the last two seasons, and it's been so good. It's hard for me to want to change, but I am in tinkering mode. I just ordered some X impacts from Black Eagle. I'm looking at some gold tips, but I've historically shot East in like yeah. all my confidence. I, I killed a lot of elk with full metal jackets for years and years and years. Um, and when I switched to Matthews, I didn't want to shoot full metal jackets anymore. Matthews, my Matthews were all seemed to be between 270 and 280 feet per second, which mm-hmm. is good. It's a good sweet spot for me mm-hmm. for tuning for fixed broadheads. And so I wanted to go a little lighter in these match grade you know, five millimeter pro series came out and I started messing with them and I really liked them. Yeah. Um, so the last couple of years I've been running like, uh, yeah, the pro series. So all that is guys is straightness, straightness is to a, like the one thou it's yeah. super straight. They're expensive because they are. And, uh, yeah. I'm not a big believer in buying like 
more bendy, less reliable arrows mm-hmm. for practice. I want right. all my shit perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm fooling around with that this year. Um, Are you? I, I've got some. Yeah, I've got some cheaper ones that I'm using for practice, and and I'm not sure what I think. I, I might end up back like you and just say no. I just want all the same arrows because I know I just want all my there's still to be subtle good. differences there's still subtle differences at, yeah especially at longer yardages that you have to account for for sure so those are five mils pro grades I cut them short um these ones I haven't done the accessories they sh- they'll probably get here today but I'm gonna go with a 50 grain hidden insert from iron wheel outfitters oh yeah yeah and then I'm going to put a 10 grain titanium yep. collar, collar. yep Though those ones up there are seventy-five grain insert with a twenty-five grain collar, but that collar's long. Yeah, and it makes my arrow longer. Then yeah. I'm anti-long arrows. Yeah, for stiffness. Yeah. So I kind of want the lightest, but the stiffest with the best FOC for me, which is thirteen fifteen. I'm still trying to figure out total weight of like. Trying to find the perfect setup at about 420 to 440. Yeah, I haven't figured that out yet. So, right now, these are all coming in at anywhere between 450 grains to 485. Yeah, with an FOC of 12 to 15 percent. Yeah, um, but I, I have smashed through everything I shot with that. So, really, yeah, wow, yeah. What are you, what have you been using? So, I cut like I said, coming from the recurve world and that Ed Ashby mentality, I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum. But did Ashby shoot a uh, a compound bow. Um, Did he do his studies with compound bows? I don't know if his studies were with compound bows. No, they or not. are not. I'm being. Uh, I'm asking you questions. <laughs> I know. I love Ranch Ferry. I love. Uh, I finally found Ranch Ferry. I love Brandon McDonald. Shout out if you listen, Brandon. But y'all are shooting unnecessarily. Like unless you have thirty inch draw lanes. Yeah. I don't so, really care. Like, but if you're me. Put yourself in my shoes, bro. Yeah, I I, I've had this. Con- I've had this conversation before, and it, it does. It, it's based on. It has to be based on the engine, right? The engine is the shooter and their uh, draw length and their draw weight capacity. Yeah, you have to work with that engine. Yeah. So because that's that's the uh, that's the unmoving factor, right? That's, yes. That's. So That's whatever your and whatever mm-hmm. the largest engine is you're working with, you've got to tailor your arrows to that. So um, I happen to have a large engine when it comes to my bow because I have I'm lucky enough to have a long draw length, and I'm lucky enough to be strong enough to pull a heavy weight. What's your poundage? So obviously that Matthews is 75 is the most. Twist and them I, up. Yep, I get I stay with Matthews specs, but I go as far to the inside of those specs as I can. And right now I'm pulling about uh, 79. Yeah. I've gotten 79 out of most of my Matthews when I put 75 pound mods and tighten things up. Yeah. yeah. And then so 30 inch draw length. I don't know your arrow weight, but I mean, that's that's a lot of foot pounds. That's yeah. a lot of kinetic energy. That's yeah. a lot of momentum. Like you are pushing, like you're balling. Yeah. So it's, let's hear it. What do so, you got? Um, this year I actually bumped my weight back up. I, last year was the lightest setup I've ever shot in my life. What Compound, recurve, whatever. Um, and those were 565. That's the lightest I've ever shot. And those were Black Eagles with uh, Steel Force. Which, uh, which Black Eagles? Rampage. The Rampage. So that's like a inside diameter of 204? Like yeah. A five millimeter? Are, yeah, those are 204. Okay. Yep. So 565? Yep. And how much weight up front? To- uh, like total? 
total. Including outsert. Or do they run a half cert? What is their system? I was running their stainless steel insert, and I, I want to say that was uh, – gosh, what was it? It was at least 50 grains. It might have been 60 or 70. Plus a broadhead that weighed – The broadhead weighed 225. Okay. So I'm, I'm pushing 300 archer. at the – I'm pushing 300 at the front. You were such a traditional archer. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah. So 565 five was your total. Those things are – that's crazy front of center. Yeah, like yeah, super crazy. Twenty five percent front of center. I don't know. I've never even measured it. I stopped measuring those yeah. a long time ago because I know that it's way more than anybody else. So why bother even measuring? Yeah, it? whatever. How'd they shoot, man? For you? Did you uh, like really the- good? Yeah, I like. I loved them. Um, Did you see some drop off uh, further distances? Oh yeah, I can still shoot without shaving fletches. I could shoot a hundred yards. I probably could have shot further, but that was that was as far as my tape went. Right. I probably should get a tape that can go farther, but. Um, so this Damn. year, this year I wanted to get back up to that like 600 grain threshold, and that's right. For real, that's where I'm at right now. Is I'm exactly at 600 grain. So what do you have now? So this year I'm shooting the uh, RIP TKOs. Yeah, I've heard good things. Yep, 250s. Um, 250 spine, same 204 diameter. Yep. And yep. then are you doing their their outsert? Yep, their stainless steel outsert. Can and you it's get like those 60. to stay inside, stay in the arrow? What I mean by that is if you yeah. shoot like a 3D target, you don't have those pull out? No, I've never had one pull out. That's cool. Are you using like a 24-hour epoxy or? No, I just use uh, I just use like super glue, fletch glue. Gorilla glue or something? Yeah. And those are seriously staying the yeah. victories. Yeah, I've never had one pull out. Is, is it that that's the thing that happens, huh? Is, oh, yeah, I did a I did a run of victories. This was years ago, so it could have changed, but they had outserts. I lost It's like out. a half cert. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? The stainless steel is like a half cert, so it's half in, half out. Okay. That's good. But uh so the only time I've ever had one pull out is when I'm uh this probably is a recurve thing too. Uh, I like to tune not only my bow, but I tune with arrow length also. So I hot melt in inserts and shoot and shoot and chop and chop like an eighth of an inch at a time until I feel like my arrows are as dialed as they're going to get. And then I pull them out and permanently glue them in. And I've had them, I've had them pull out with hot melt, but I think that's going to happen with any, mm-hmm. any insert. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, insert. for sure. That's interesting. So this year you, you, you went with the TKOs. I've, I've seen and heard good things. Um, my buddy Tim shot his whitetail with a TKO. Yeah. Um, Victory makes good stuff, and they come spine aligned. Yeah. And you can test it. They're actually pretty true. Yeah. Do you have a tester for that, for spine alignment? Okay. Nope. Uh, do you shoot the same 225-grain broadhead? No. This year I'm trying a new uh, broadhead, the uh, the Cutthroats from Rocky Mountain uh, Specialty. Uh, and they're a two-blade single bevel broadhead oh, and i nice. went i went with the 200s do they have bleeders you can get them no they don't the iron wheels is that you're talking about bleeders like the, the new iron wheels I like, yeah like the, the bleeders behind you is the, some iron wheel stuff in those cases yeah so i know the other case yeah i just saw those this year for but the I don't first have, time i don't have the single bevel stuff to tinker with yet i do okay. want to check but i shoot yeah it's, it's these it's these except the single bevel uh, with the see these bleeders these are super interesting i've never shot bleeders before but i'll be the first guy to admit to you that blood trails from a two blade broadhead without bleeders are less than ideal. So I'm here to tell everyone listening that's want to kill an elk, 
I need a blood trail. I want as much blood on the ground as possible. And I'm not talking about a rage, hyperdermic, <laughs> rear-deploying, two-inch gash that doesn't go all the way through the oak. I'm talking about two holes, entry, exit. It's a triangle. Yeah. And my arrow goes in a straight line through the elk. It doesn't deflect and hit. Like, it's just power. And it goes straight through the elk. And then as the heart beats, while it's the lungs are filling up with blood, it sprays out. Yeah. And then I can look at tracks and go, okay, he went this way. He dug in here. Yep. And there's blood to confirm. And I, yep. that's, that's perfect. So I have, how many sets of iron wheels do I have on there? You think? I got uh, four cases. Four cases. Yeah. yeah. I'm I see they all have bleeders on them, but I'm and I know Bill, Bill the engineer behind Iron Wheel. Guy's super geeky, sharp, like sharp as they come. Like he's coming to Colorado Elk Shape Camp to talk about broadheads. Oh, nice! And I can't wait to hear him talk in person. But I'm scared to death to use this stuff on an elk. Not, I mean, I would. I'm confident that I could shoot quartering two shots on elk, and frontals, probably. Although I don't condone frontals, I don't publicly say shoot frontal. Because I like broadside or cordon away, but like I'm a little worried about the blood trails because I've been using Grim Reaper Micro Hades three blades, and I've used four blades, and I'm getting the most insane blood trails, and I'm getting pass throughs, so it's tough for me to want to change. Yeah, I mean, if if you're getting pass throughs, I don't see a reason to change. And I've shot through a shoulder blade. Yeah, I didn't get a pass through, but I made it through. Right, right, and the elk died because it was behind the shoulder blade was more lungs yeah yeah um and those chisel tips seem to do pretty well on a lot of studies on penetration through bone whereas like a one like a one piece i don't know injected molded three blade right typically don't have that chiseling to get through bone yeah but there's no denying those two blades penetrate like yeah nothing else now rocky mountain what's it called the specialty, the cutthroat broadhead. What broadhead did they make? They made one and sold it. Like, they're the original creators uh, of... I'm not sure. Oh, uh, somebody listening. I'm not sure. It. I just got turned on to them this year, so I don't know a whole lot about mm. them. But Have I, you got I a chance a to test the flight? No, I'm just I'm just about at the point in my setup where I'm ready to do some broadhead testing. But um, I've been tinkering around with a whole bunch of other stuff. So I'll tell you this. I'd shoot a two blade over a mechanical all day, every day. Yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not a mechanical guy. I'll never, I'll never have one on my arrow. I'm not knocking them. They're just, they're not my thing. I, I like something solid and simple and yeah. uh, less room for error. When you do get to broadhead tune in this time of year, do you think, um, do you keep the broadheads on for all year? I mean, do you go to tack shoots? Do you go to I've never done, Mountain Challenge? I've never done a tack shoot, um, and that's probably something I should do, but I like to go to the 3D range down at SVA. Oh, it's phenomenal. That's that gives you a lot of real-world uh, situations, and so I feel like that's sufficient. Yeah. But, but definitely, I mean, a tack would be, would be awesome. It's hard to – I spend so much time hunting and researching hunting and on the computer getting tags and stuff like that. It's like, how much more time am I going to be get away with dedicating to this endeavor without, you know, my family just being like, hey, remember enough, us? Enough's enough. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I only walk the line because I have a job in it. Yeah. And if I think my current level would be, we'd have a problem at home with how much I'm doing, but I, I feel that 
I can still shoot every day, right? Yeah, in my and yard. that range is awesome, There's by the no way. There's no excuse. I can shoot in my yard. I can run down to SVA. I can shoot the 3D range. How far can you shoot at your yard? Uh, I can shoot 40 right now. Oh, legit. Yeah. And you can sneak over here and shoot whenever you want. You just yeah. see me text. Yeah. Um, we got out to a long ways yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because of that field next door. Yeah. can shoot out to... If no one's walking their dog out there, you can go <laughs> 150 if you're if you can. I don't I can't go past 120 as far as without hitting my sight. Right, right. With my short draw length. Um, I, I've taken a lot of your time, but I've enjoyed the hell out of this. Do you know how long we've been going? No, I haven't a clue. Hour 42. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So that 600 grain setup, man, that you have, that is gonna go through anything. It That's should. scary. It should. And and the so my philosophy is. Um, if obviously you don't need it, right? Don't need it. You don't have to shoot 75 pounds. You don't have to shoot heavy arrows, but if you can, and you can be accurate, why not? If my engine can propel those arrows, why not do it? I can't argue. I think um, it'll, if you make a marginal shot, it could potentially make up for, um, unintended consequences, you know? Yeah. Or, uh, say, say I make a, a marginal shot and it happens where you get a follow-up shot, but it's at a, a very extended range, like far outside of a range you'd ever take a shot at. Certainly. Normally, but yeah. you've already wounded an animal. If you get a 100-yard follow-up shot, I'm going to take that. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm shooting until they're on the ground, man. Yeah. So on elk, that, tough. That setup allows me to still carry a – whole lot of energy at an extended yardage whereas mm -hmm. a lighter arrow um will have plenty of energy at the shorter yardages but the more you extend that range out there the faster off the energy is going to die in the lighter arrow versus a heavier arrow physics 101 yeah. man that's <laughs> i like it uh no i like i like your choice i'm a little worried about the blood trail it, so I want to finish with this. I got to ask you and just be super straightforward. You have been up to this point. I want to know if you've taken any frontals on elk because you said you're a solo elk hunter. That happens a lot. If you solo elk hunt, you'll get an opportunity frontal. And I, I literally tell people on this podcast, try not to do them, but I'd be lying if I said I hadn't killed at least six bulls frontal, but I'm not <laughs> looking for it. I'm really, right, truly right. looking for the highest odds shot, right. which is quartering away or broadside. I really think you can be patient but the other thing is you said the blood trails weren't great. So try to quantify that so I can at least be like understand what is a great blood trail, what isn't. What were you hoping for? What did you see? Uh, okay, so a typical blood trail with a two-blade broadhead with no bleeders. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if I make a good shot, a clean shot. Um, I may not find blood between the shot and the elk. I might not. Like mid body, not high lung, but like mid, yeah, double lung, yeah, middle. Wow. Yeah, and it and is or it just tighten up, it's, seal it's, up, or is it just like the skin? So folds? when when you have when you have a slice through an animal that is that is made by a two blade broadhead, it just it so quickly and easily seals up. Whereas three blades or bleeder blades create extra flaps that provide like a valve for yeah. stuff to flow through. Yeah. Whereas two can, I mean, it can just seal up so easily, mm. but, uh, are you concerned really, about that at all? Like, yeah, it's not, it's not great. 
I would love huge blood trails. Obviously, that makes tracking a lot easier. But if I do my job, my elk's going to be on the ground, and it's just a matter of finding them. It might not be as easy, and it might take a little more patience, and it might be a little more nerve-wracking, but uh, the end result is the same. I understand that. Yes. Okay. And I've just had a few blood trails before, you know, where there's so many elk with the bull I shot. Sure. And they're all going every direction, and it wasn't the greatest blood trail. It it, it can make it can like I I remember vividly two years ago or three years ago, it was my second bull I killed in Idaho that year, and my dad was kind of with me. He was down the creek bottom, and I did the old sound like to him to be like, "Hey, I got one. Get up here." And I shot this bull soak like six yards. I shot him, but he was with all his cows. Oh yeah, and they all took off melee. And dude, we could like could not find any blood, and we were looking. And anyways, he was thirty yards away, dead. Yeah. But because of the lack of blood in all of the elk tracks, we probably spent ninety minutes going all over, like thinking this was his track, that was his track, and couldn't find good blood. So right, right. I don't know. It's really common with a two blade, um, no blood for thirty to fifty, sixty yards. And then with a good mid-body or lower shot, not high lung, obviously, uh, you should start seeing some blood at that point. And then, and usually the blood will um, will increase the amount of blood. It'll right. have a decent blood trail. That's that's normal. I'm just trying to say it's not uncommon that there's very little blood. It, it happens. So how? What's your take on? I guess frontals. I mean, I don't like avoiding the frontal question because people ask me at camp, so I talk about it. That's why I'm so like upfront with it. Like, done it. Don't recommend it unless you really cut up a lot of elk. But like, have you had that I opportunity? Have, I have zero issues with a frontal shot for me personally. I yeah. think everybody needs to analyze their own skill level, their own knowledge of anatomy and make that decision for themselves. But I wouldn't hesitate at all to take a frontal shot. I've never had a frontal shot, so I've never taken one. Okay. But, uh, that surprised me as a solo guy. Cause sometimes that's um, all you're left with initially. I'm sure it'll happen. Yeah. I mean, eventually. Yeah. I certainly hope I, from, from here going forward, I don't ever have to do another one. Um, just cause I don't want people thinking it's a cool thing. Cause I think there's a lot of guys out there that have taken them and, have wounded elk a lot of wounded yeah. elk, but um, I want to fin. I do. I keep thinking which can things happen up. with any shot, right? Even perfect broadside or quartering away, a bad shot can be made. Welcome to the non-perfect world we live in. Yeah, dude. When it comes to butchering and stuff, like real quick. I mean, yeah. I've like forgot to. I wanted to spend more time on this, but I know you got to be <laughs> out soon. No, it's all good. Your next level butcher and research. Like how did you get to that level? It just falls under that same philosophy of I like to do things myself and food is one of the biggest things because there's so many additives that go into sausage and whatever it is that you send to the butcher. It's just it's not that there's anything wrong with it. That's the common practice is there's binders and there's uh additives that um help with consistency right the the mouthfeel and all that it's chemistry and um i don't i don't want to i don't want that stuff i don't want to be ingesting a bunch of crap have you watched any of the butchered bros on youtube i haven't nope i think that's their name they're out of uh i want to say ohio 
like uh, I got sucked into their vor- YouTube vortex with my wife. Yeah. And because I was really wanting to make some summer sausage myself. Mm-hmm. And that 45 minute video led to all sorts of stuff. Because um, I've, uh, I don't know why, but I just always butchered my own elk. Yeah. And just over always... time added more tools yep. to the trade. So I do have the cooler, but where's your walk in cooler? Is it here in town? It's in Colbert. Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. Uh, I'm just keeping a note of that for this yeah. year. Uh, what is what what grinder? What's your grinder of choice? It's a uh, so we got this one last year. It's a uh, Pro Cut, Pro Cut, uh, three horsepower, three horsepower. She's yeah, uh, two hundred and forty volt. Um, it's a machine. Making your own sausage and stuff, and getting the right chemistry, the right vibe, and then putting it. Do you have like a like one of those sausage makers that lets the air out, and that you can kind of compact it? Yeah. So I've got a. Uh, uh, it's called a sermon. It's one of those vertical uh, hydraulic. It's a hydraulic sausage stuffer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, that was essential for me because I don't want to spend uh, an inanimate amount of time. That's what making. I have set up. I have the meat sausage one made by meat yeah and uh it's not the fastest but it's definitely i mean it's sufficient for me right 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 but uh what about uh making burger like how like do you add a lot of fat to your burger and stuff? yeah what do you i do to i add? think uh so that's another deal with that goes back to diet is uh what's essential on a carnivore or animal-based diet is you've got to get fat because um, you know, you've heard of the term scurvy, mm-hmm. right? Well, that comes from eating too lean of meat that doesn't have enough fat because a lot of those minerals and vitamins you need are in the fat. Yep. So I like to go an 80-20. I'll, I'll take all my uh, all my meat that I dedicate to burger and I'll find some good uh, beef fat and I'll go 80-20. That's what I you like. You brought me over some pastrami, elk pastrami. Yep. You're going to teach me how to do that. Yeah, that's super easy, man. Because I'm into that. And yeah. then what about um, like briskets and uh, bacon-ish type stuff? I do brisket. I'm not. I'm not a huge. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a skilled barbecue guy, but I love cooking barbecue. You got Traeger? Yeah. I okay. Do. Um, but yeah, I make all my own homemade bacon. Same thing. I don't like all the additives they're in yeah. foods that we buy commercially. I hate them. Yeah. So. Um, my bacon literally is made with salt and cure, and then I douse the thing in pepper after it's all done right. uh, curing, and then throw it in the smoker. Mm. Uh, your setup, do you do all your butchering in Colbert there at the shop? Yep. Okay. All your tools are there? Yep. How many thousands of dollars have you invested in your own processing gear? I've got about 15000 in it right now. Oh, that's a little higher than I thought you were going to say. Not going to lie. <laughs> uh this year, I dropped my meat off in one state because I had to go to the next. Yeah. They did a bang-up job. I was super nervous. I'm not kidding. I haven't had my stuff at a butcher in so long. They hit it out of the park. Yeah. Uh, I felt like I got my meat, and um, they followed my instructions to the T, and it was, like, super cheap. But the other two bulls, I mean, processed here, got my kids involved, Um yeah, it's most butchers do a great job. They're professionals. They know what they're doing. They are professionals. My problem is not with that. It's with the conventional way of making sausage. They and they all practice it, and that's with all the additives mm. and all that. And that's just all I'm trying to get with. When I make summer sausage, when I make uh, frankfurters like the ones I, I gave you this morning, literally, I'm not 
most people when they make sausage, like you go to a place or you buy a seasoning mix, right? Yes. And you put that in your meat. That's not what's happening when I make sausage. I'm literally buying all of my spices. I have a rack of them. Yeah, you're getting your own ingredients. I make all my own recipes. And it's literally just the salt and the spices and maybe a little – Maybe a little whey powder or something for a binder, sure. but but I'm leaving all that other stuff out because mm. I don't I don't want it in my meat. I think that's the way to go, honestly, and just get get cool with being that like that's part of your process as a hunter. Yeah, and it's fun to develop recipes. I mean, it's taken a lot of time and a lot of years to develop recipes uh, because if you're not going to buy a pre seasoning mix, how do you make summer sausage? I don't know what's in it. Yeah. <laughs> And you, what know, about, you have to figure all that stuff out. Where do you when you do your summer sauces? Where do you get your skins? Uh, I buy most of my um, casings down at Micklich. Oh yeah, actually that way, right there, kind of off Sprague. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, on Main, or actually it's on Stone, the corner of Stone and Main. But um, yeah, okay. I get I get all my casings there: hog casings, um, summer sausage casings. Uh, I buy a lot of my spices from them also. And then I buy some spices online. Mm. I hope we both get the opportunity to uh, do some meat processing together. Yeah, I would I'd really love, love that. Like I, that's like one of my favorite parts. I'd love to. I'm not kidding. Like, I, like how long do you hang your your uh, animals for? Uh, at least a week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm not the guy. Do you I'm have not a cool the, bot or what? Do yeah. You, yeah. Yep. I'm not the guy that does the whole. Hang it until you start to see mold on the outside. No, that's no, not no, me. No, no, no. But me a lot either. of guys, and and there is some truth to the flavor that you get from that. But I also don't want to waste a bunch of meat and have to totally reskin it. And oh, get same all that here. Stuff I'm off. not into wasting meat. Um, Seven days. So yeah, that's the I, magic. I like to hang it until it's 10. got a good rosy dark color, mm-hmm. and then we're good to go. Cool bots. They override the air conditioning unit, guys. Super super rad idea. Ours works. What what kind of BTUs do you have on your air conditioning unit? Do you remember? Mine's either the eighteen thousand or twenty two thousand. Oh, it's a two forty volt. Yeah, because oh, I've got like an eight by ten room. Okay, it's pretty good size. But uh, and I have a ten thousand BTU and it does a bang up job. Yeah. So yeah, but my the, room's not quite eight by ten. Maybe it is. It might be eight by eight. Yeah. But it's it does a good enough job. So guys, check out Coolbot hashtag not sponsored. But it's just this little device that overrides oh, your air conditioning dude, unit. Those things are those things are awesome and they're easy to install they yep. they give you a video with directions on how to do it if i can do it yeah I mean, you're an electrician you can't say anything's <laughs> easy uh but yeah if i could do it, anyone can do it and you say you save so much money on buying a condenser and and all that stuff um but it it does a legit job and if you get the if you get the one there's one that's a little bit better than their basic model and I think it's called the Pro, the Coolbot Pro. It hooks up to Wi-Fi, so literally, I'm uh, I don't live in Colbert where the where the walk-in is. So my meat's hanging. If for some reason somebody checked it out, left the door open, or the thing, uh, the air conditioner stopped working, the breaker trips, whatever, whatever, anything, power goes out. If the temperature raises above what you have it set at, I'm getting an alert on my phone. As long as I have an internet connection. Mm. And to me, that's invaluable because, I mean, you could really easily go sideways and lose a whole ton of meat if... Uh, Maybe when I build my shop, I need to include my... Uh, oh, you totally should. I need to include my room. Yeah, Absolutely. you totally should. Oh, well, thanks for spending more of my money, but I appreciate <laughs> that. That's awesome. Guys, Drew, we did two hours. Um, 
what's your Instagram account? Shallow Forks. At Shallow Forks. Check him out. I follow him. He's a good follow. And, uh, dude, you're a badass, man. You're, you're <laughs> a solo elk hunter who's looking every day for ways to suffer and the name of better elk hunting. And you're kind of a little bit of a hippie yeah, and totally. you're a butcher and carnivore diet, four kids, uh, hardworking solopreneur. I like it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man, give him a follow guys. We kicked it here for two hours. One of the longer podcasts I've done, but enjoyed it. Thank you, Drew. Thank yeah. you guys. Thanks remember, for having me on, Dan. Oh, dude, we'll have you on again. That I guarantee. <laughs> Separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Guys, now I kind of know why Joe Rogan can do three-hour podcasts. My goodness, that was so much fun to have somebody in person. Time flew by. Drew, thanks again for coming on. And uh, look forward to future workouts and maybe butchering up some animals shooting together. Great dude. Appreciate your time. Shout out to Phelps Game Calls for providing all of the elk-shaped camps with beagle tubes and diaphragms so we can teach people how to make better elk vocalizations. A discount code from Stowaway Gourmet Freeze-Dried Food. That's bomb. Discount code ELK10. Save 10% off. I get nothing out of that. I just want to add value to your guys' world. Same with Black Ovis. Uh, use the discount code ELKSHAPE to save 10%. Some exclusions apply. They carry everything under the sun. Uh, boots, backpacks, arrow builders, all the clothing. Check them out. Um, really good dudes. One of my favorite people to work with is Black Ovis, and that's where I buy my arrows. Tag Hub, discount code ELKSHAPE15 saves 15% on your elk allocation process as well as your research state-by-state -state analysis, including draw odds and filtering the nitty-gritty details of where you're going to be. Good luck in the draws this year, y'all. ElkCollective.com, use the discount code ELKSHAPEPODCAST, one word to save $25 off a library of videos that will teach you how to become a better elk hunter from several different resources, not just one. There's many styles to elk hunting, and I feel like you should know them all from calling, partner setup, solo calling, spot and stock, ambush style, transition. I mean, we even have one video in there where we break down an entire elk gutless and you see every blade stroke involved. And that's important for those that have never killed an elk yet. Uh, so great resource. Check it out. Drew, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Your, just your insight, your manners, your just your philosophies and i found you super interesting and uh guys i appreciate the support you have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts thanks for picking ours we just want to continue to deliver entertainment but more importantly inspiration and just add value to your life and teach you how to leverage elk hunting so you can make everything else in your world better god bless you all keep working hard in the name of better elk hunting and separation is in the preparation we'll catch you next week